Almost from the very beginning, corporate America has played a role in the response to the pandemic. Pharmaceutical and healthcare companies have taken on testing and vaccine development. But businesses from all sorts of other industries have also stepped up. Sometimes it has been the savior. The New England Patriots plane, instead of carrying that vaunted team, brought 1.2 million N95 masks from China to Boston. It took General Motors just 11 days of construction and training, but have since made and donated more than 3.5 million ventilators, face masks, face shields, and more. In other cases, it hasn't gone so well. There's a horrible backlog at the two biggest uh, testing companies. Apple and Google teaming up on an app that would help with contact tracing because of coronavirus. Tonight, health officials are warning the software will be of little use. Now, as state governments attempt a vaccination rollout unlike anything the country's done before, corporations are once again stepping in. Rideshare companies Uber and Lyft want to drive residents to vaccination sites for free. Amazon's offering its facilities to use as mass vaccination sites. Honeywell in North Carolina offering logistical help with last mile vaccine distribution. Washington State now partnering with companies such as Microsoft and Starbucks to boost vaccine distribution. Companies are offering everything from office space to logistics expertise. But given the mixed results from the private sector in other response efforts, what should we expect now? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, January 29th. Coming up on the show, corporate America's role in vaccine distribution. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Since the vaccine rollout started a few weeks ago, many Americans have been frustrated. Our understanding was they weren't making appointments. I did not expect to be sitting here since 3.45 this morning. We don't have four hours to sit in the car. It was so hard to get an appointment. I think you see this acknowledgement that while public health departments are built to handle public health emergencies in some ways, the sheer scale of this particular crisis and the logistics involved in this particular campaign are vast. That's our colleague, Sarah Krause. You don't have states necessarily investing in track and trace software for an eventual vaccine distribution campaign, right? Like, you don't necessarily have them proactively invest in car counters for when you need to have a pandemic-scale mass vaccination site, right? Like, some of this is stuff that is outside of the purview of a normal public health sort of operation. So states are turning to the private sector for help. And if you can have businesses that are in your backyard donate their resources, time, facility, 
money. Not many public officials are willing to say no to that at this point. North Carolina is one state that had some early hiccups. To better understand what happened there, we called the person in charge of the state's vaccine rollout. I'm Mandy Cohen. I'm the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Must have been quite a last year. <laughs> it's It's been um, a hard year for everyone, but particularly here at the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and we've been at this for a full year now and um, adding vaccine in, on top of, of all of the other work that we've been doing has been challenging, but the team has been incredible. Our partners have been incredible, and I'm very proud of the work. The issues with the rollout in North Carolina started a couple of weeks ago, after it expanded the pool of those eligible to residents over 65, a group of about one and a half million people. We knew it would take some time with a new IT system and just new operations um, overall would get a little bit of time. So we are trying to deploy different support strategies from the state. So we are offering on-site data entry, on-site clerical support if you need it. Like everywhere in the country, it was um, a little slow going as we started to figure out our operations, what could everyone ramp to. One person who experienced this slow going rollout was Darius Adamchek, a Charlotte resident who'd just gotten his mother vaccinated. The clinic, it was only open from, I think, 8.30 to 4.30. The spacing was wide. And, you know, they were only handling about three to 400 people a day, which is terrific. I applaud that. But what if we multiply that by a factor of 10 or 15? Because Darius isn't just your average guy. He's the CEO of Honeywell, a big industrial company that makes everything from airplane parts to barcode scanners. Darius got thinking about how Honeywell could help North Carolina scale up its vaccine effort. And he came up with an idea, but he needed help. So I have a few friends that live in the neighborhood, and sometimes on the weekends we just go for walks. And Darius's friends weren't your regular neighborhood buddies. Those friends were the CEO of Atrium Health, a regional healthcare provider that was already distributing vaccines, and the president of Tepper Sports and Entertainment, which owns the football stadium for the Carolina Panthers. So we talked a little bit about the possibility of maybe opening up kind of a mass vaccination center at Bank of America Stadium where the Panthers play. We want the vaccinations to take place sooner and faster. And the faster that happens, the better off the country will be in terms of emerging from this COVID nightmare that we've been a part of for the last months. So you had an idea in mind for that weekend. Well, I did. But of course, they could have poured a cold bucket of water on that <laughs> plan if they said, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. So, you know, they really were really thoughtful and just like they really wanted to help. And then we kind of talked about some of these ideas and, and kind of the whole thing literally came together over the course of 24 to 48 hours. These three CEOs wanted to build a mass vaccination site that could inoculate thousands of people per day. Within days, they got the governor to agree to supply them with 15 to 20,000 vaccine doses. But the doses were just the first step. There were still the logistics to figure out. The actual vaccine step takes a very short period of time. I mean, to administer a vaccine takes 10 to 15 seconds. But the bottlenecks is, you know, you have to mix the vaccines. Uh, you have to make sure people have their masks on. 
directing the traffic, you have to process the paperwork. It was taking about 10 to 15 minutes per person just to process the paperwork. And through our workflow software and barcoding technology, we reduced that to under 30 seconds. Uh, That's per person. That's a fairly dramatic change. Honeywell and its partners figured out how to streamline and scale up the vaccine rollout in a way that the state on its own was still working to do. Honeywell took care of the logistics, Tepper owned big venues, and Atrium had the nurses, pharmacists, and technicians to give people the vaccine. I'm kind of wrestling with this issue of that private industry is having to step in here. Shouldn't the government be able to do this job on its own? Um, I actually think that this is a natural place for public-private partnership because, frankly speaking, I mean, if we think about, you know, at a state level especially, the sort of distribution and the logistics and solving the queuing problem, because this really is a big queuing problem, I wouldn't say that's sort of in the line of expectations of what a the state government can do and should do. I mean, you know, we haven't had a mass vaccination event like this one in decades. So I think it's a little unfair to say, you know, every state should just be able to do this on their own. After just one week of intense planning, Darius and his partners were ready to run their first event, a test run at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. How it went? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. There's no better feeling than finishing work for the day, sipping an ice-cold soda and nuzzling down into a Citizen M bed. Recharge your brain and batteries at Citizen M Hotels. They're in the tech cities, Menlo Park, Miami, Austin, New York, San Francisco, where people like you work, sleep, and play. Book now at citizenm.com slash the journal. Thousands of people drove up to the Charlotte Speedway this past weekend to get their shots. Picture a massive motor speedway and NASCAR cars racing around it at top speeds. And then replace the NASCAR cars with minivans and sedans all crawling in a long line to then pull in and get vaccinated. Todd Bennington was there at the racetrack to get his shot. It was just, it was incredible. Something that could have been so hard was so easy. So I came into the racetrack, which is a huge complex. People were anticipating lines, but they weren't. But we drove down, went out behind the track. Todd said the cars moved smoothly around the track as if they were on an assembly line. First place we stopped was probably 30 seconds. And he said, you know, do you have a point? Yes, you sort of progress through these stations and then wind slowly around first an access road and then actually onto the track. 
and then to the sort of pit area where there's a long line of garages and you pull into that and that's where the dose is actually administered. You get the dose in the pit? You get the dose in the pit. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) They said they did not let people drive up on that like cool curved part of the track, but yes, you do get to drive on the track for a short time. This weekend, Darius and his partners are running another event, this time at the Bank of America Stadium, where the Panthers play. Darius said he'll be volunteering there. Across the two events, nearly 40,000 people will have been vaccinated. And this is helping the state clear its backlog of doses. Here's Mandy. As of this week, North Carolina had used 99% of our first doses. There were very, very few first doses sitting anywhere on the shelf. So in terms of our throughput and capacity, we've cleared any sort of backlog we might have had, which is fantastic work by our partners. These mega vaccination events are very good at volume. You, You can get more shots in arms. But how are they at addressing equitable access to the vaccine? Yeah, I think there are ways that we are already layering in operational ways to balance equity that we've even learned just from our one event at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And so, for example, at coming up for the Panther Stadium, when they released appointments, they released appointments first to our African-American and Hispanic churches in the Charlotte area. So they got first access to appointments. Then they release the appointments to our local health department who has more connection to some of our underserved communities. Then they opened it to the public, right? So there's there are ways to build in access even as you do these mega events. And despite the potential of these big vaccination drives, Mandy says they can't be the whole solution. Not everyone is able to drive to the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and that's only one location. So we needed multiple strategies here, and I think there are going to be some places that do slightly lower throughputs, like two, 300 a day. That's still a lot of folks coming through in a day um, in a particular community, depending on its size. And sometimes when companies offer help, they want to get something in return. Like when Amazon, Uber, and Lyft step forward. They also asked if their workers could move to the front of the line to get vaccinated. So I asked Darius if he thought his employees should get priority. Nope. The only way you can get priority is if you actually volunteer. So if you come out and you put in your time and you're a volunteer, we don't pay volunteers, but as a thank you for your time, you get a vaccine, which I think is a fairly equitable approach. Will you get a vaccine? Only if I put in the time. Well, you're going. You said you're going to volunteer this weekend. Well, not only do I have to go, but I actually have to put in a full shift just like everybody else. And if I do that, then I'll accept the vaccine. And I put the same question to Mandy. We understand that these trials at Panther Stadium and the Speedway, volunteers are able to get vaccinated as part of it. What's your view on that? Yes. So we are vaccinating right now all folks who are over 65 and all healthcare workers. And we include in that those who are participating in the vaccine events themselves. That's right. And that's going to include Darius this weekend. I don't know if it will. <laughs> is, he, is, he, is he volunteering? Is he He's planning to do a full shift. And if he completes <laughs> he it, he's... There you go. There you go. I didn't know that. Well done. 
Are you worried this could create a two-tiered system where you have the people in the priority groups and also employees at companies like Honeywell getting the shots? Well, look, we want folks who are are supporting these events. And, and again, I think that's a very, I'm sure it's a very small portion of, of the entire Honeywell employee base. I'm grateful for, you know, the partnership that is here. We do want to offer that to those who are volunteering their time. We are also been very clear that we do not want any vaccine wasted. Um, We have heard of in other states of places where vaccine was wasted at the end of a day because you have to take it out of the freezer and they didn't have someone who was 65 close by. Don't waste. Get it in an arm. That's okay. But it should be the rarity. You know, we should be prioritizing this for those who are over 65 at this moment. And so we're working through it because remember, this is a marathon where we have a lot of vaccination to do over many months. With a long road in front of them, having to vaccinate millions, states may need to keep looking to the private sector. Sarah says this would simply continue a trend we've seen throughout the pandemic. First with testing and now with the vaccine rollout, when things get bumpy, there are business implications, right? If you can't quickly diagnose someone who has been infected or you can't quickly tamp down on a workplace outbreak, that becomes a cost to your business and that becomes an uncertainty to your business. So there has certainly been appetite and growing appetite as the pandemic has dragged on to get things back under control quickly. So when we get to this hopeful stage of the vaccine and all the promise that it holds, if it is effective in helping us reach herd immunity and getting through this, you want that to happen as soon as possible. And that's why these businesses are jumping in. So do you think that the private sector will become a permanent part of the vaccine rollout? I think the big question mark is whether there will be more of a federal centralized approach to vaccine giving under the Biden administration or if it will continue to be a very state-led endeavor. So the prior administration throughout the pandemic, both in testing and in vaccines, gave states a lot of freedom to make their own game plan for this sort of thing. And that resulted in having many different approaches across the country to doing the same thing. If there's more of a federal intervention and you have more federally operated sites, the need for this may wane. Alternatively, if this goes well or continues to go well, you may see states and the federal government even say, you know what, this is a model that works. Let's keep it up. And a note before you go. This episode's been updated. In an earlier version, we said Honeywell makes thermostats. The company used to, but it spun off that business and doesn't manufacture them anymore. That's all for today, Friday, January 29th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show's produced by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapok. Engineering help this week from Sam Bear and Bobby Lord. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, Peter Leonard, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. 
See you Monday.